Anyway, I want to introduce, he's already become a friend. We read about him on, on Fox, and then I, we checked him out, and he lives in Huntersville. And he knows some people that we know, good friends with Al Woods and some others, and just felt like he had a word for this hour. God's raised him up. So would you welcome Daniel Ritchie. Yeah. I mean, if, if it makes y'all feel any better, I, um, I, I, had the, I had the wherewithal to set my phone this morning because I was like, man, time change, especially when you're a guest speaker. It's like the ultimate trap. And, uh, and I set my phone and my phone went off and I looked at the clock and I was like, 5.55, what's wrong with me? Like, why did I set my phone that early? And little did I know. Uh, that, that it was actually a time change, but man, glad to be here, glad to, by God's grace, uh, make it, and so, man, this morning, one of the things I, I want to do is I do want to share a little bit of my story, but, uh, man, maybe be even beyond that is to, is to open up God's Word and, and to take time to, Lord willing, maybe share a word for so many of us in this room where maybe we do feel shoved off to the side. We feel like people who are broken beyond repair and what we see in the hope and the grace of God is God takes broken things, God takes broken people, and he stitches them back together for his glory, for his good, and for his purposes. And oftentimes, it's the broken people that God in his grace uses the most. And so we, we, might, we might sit in here this morning and we might feel like we're on the B team or the C team, like God, God didn't give us all, all the equipment. You know, I, I always tell people, I got the economy model, you know, like when, when, God, was, when God was handing out bodies, like you, you guys got the armed version, I got the unarmed version. And, uh, and so uh, it, it makes me more streamlined in the water, I guess, that's a... Uh, it's about one of the one of the only benefits, but um, you know, people all the time, they will they'll they'll want to know the story. Like, dude, how'd you get this way? Because uh, I, I was at a I was at a men's conference yesterday, and uh, and I was standing there, and right before I spoke, this guy leaned over and he was like, "Was it a bear?" <laughs> it's like, like a bear. It's like, man, that would that, there would be a movie about that. Like, if. If there was a bear that took one arm and then left and then went, you know what, I need to finish the job and goes back and takes the other arm, like, like that whole Leonardo DiCaprio movie, that'd be the junior league compared to that. And, uh, and so there is, sorry to let you down, there's no juicy story. Um, this is just, uh, this is the way God made me. This is the way that um, God had crafted me in, in my mother's womb. But, but I will say that the interesting thing in that was the, the expectation was for me to be a healthy baby boy. It was growing, you know, growing in, in my mom's belly. Mom had a healthy pregnancy and mom had two ultrasounds. And so I think it's like a lot of us who are in this room who are parents, like we're, we have those dreams of what our little boy and our little girl is going to be. And for my parents, it was, it was no different than the dreams and the hopes that each and every one of us who are mamas and daddies that, that we have. 
And so nobody knew that anything was wrong until the moment that I came into the world. And the doctor there in the delivery room is holding this armless baby boy. And then not only is, is like the shock of, of just that reality spreading its way across this delivery room, but then I'm also not breathing, I'm not moving, I'm not screaming. And the doctor takes some of my vital signs and then he, in, in just a, a snap decision, he turns to my dad and he shows uh, my dad that I don't have arms. And he tells my dad he's not breathing. Do you want us to let him go? Because I mean, man, when you, to think of where our culture is, to think of the essence of the American dream is comfort and ease. And when you look at a little boy who doesn't have any arms, where's the comfort and ease in that? I mean, just, just even think this morning, think of all the things that, that very subconsciously you've done with your hands just since you've gotten up, which probably includes as your alarm goes off and you see it's super dark outside, it's going to be that hand reaching over to smack the, sn- the snooze button. You know, it was, it was getting up to, to use your hands to, to get dressed, to brush your teeth, to make breakfast, to get the kids ready to start your car. There are so many things on a daily basis that, man, we just completely blow by and don't even think through as, as we use our, our hands and our wrists and our thumbs. And so for this doctor to look at this little armless boy and think of all the things that hands and arms and thumbs and everything else can accomplish, how in the world is this kid going to be able to do anything? But I'm so thankful that in that, like, just moment of fear, in that moment of not knowing what's next, the only thing my dad could do was say, that's, that's my son, you do whatever it takes to revive him. And I'm so, amen, like I am, I'm so incredibly thankful because I sit here as a, as a, as a daddy of two and, and in a moment like that and in the, you know, we, we want to think that, man, when the, when the bullets start flying, when life starts getting hot and fiery, that we're going to go, yeah, I'm going to make all of these great choices and I'm going to be faithful and I'm going to say all the right things and pray all the right prayers, but then life happens and you go, whoa, this was more than I could bite off. This is more, more than I could chew. And as my dad utters those words and the doctors rush me out and start to work on me, like in this whole process, my mom doesn't know what's happening. My mom doesn't get to see me or touch me or hold me. She, kn- she knows something's wrong because she didn't hear her little boy crying right there in that delivery room. And so my dad has to go over and he, he grabs her by the hand and he's like, listen, this is... This is what's going on. Our, our son doesn't have any arms. Our son's not breathing. Our, our son is, is honestly not alive in this moment. And, and all he could think of to do was to pray. And it was just the, the most simple prayer. And it was, God, if you let our boy live, we'll give him to you. Like wh- whatever that means, God, what, whatever lies ahead, God, we're all in. And, and by God's grace, in, in just a matter of moments, in walks in the doctor with this little kicking, screaming, armless baby boy. And, and you know, for my parents, like, what a, 
What just a, a breath of air, what a weight off their shoulders to finally know it's like, okay, we, we have our boy and mom finally got to touch me and hold me and see her little boy. But then this, the, the interesting thing started to happen and, and the, the story gets more complicated in the fact that w- here we are in this, in this hospital in Greensboro that was a, it was a teaching hospital. And so in a teaching hospital, man, you're going to take any opportunity you can as a doctor or a nurse or as a, as a medical student. If you can learn, if you can see something you don't see every day, you're going to come see it. And boy... When we started to spread that there was an armless baby boy up on the third floor, man, everybody started pouring into our room like pediatricians that were not my pediatrician. It was um, orthopedic specialists, surgeons. There was, a, there was a hand specialist that came into our room, and my dad was like, buddy, I don't think you're, think you're barking up the wrong tree. And uh, it's like, I'm sorry. And, uh, and all of these doctors, they would check me out, and they would look me over. And every single doctor but one, all they had to say was negative things. That, listen, your, your son probably won't write. Your son's not going to be able to feed himself. He won't go to normal school. He won't graduate high school. He won't get a job. He won't move out. You should probably consider giving him up to state care or adoption because you're in over your skis on this one. This is supposed to be the most joyful day of a mom and dad's life. And for my parents, it really became one of the most terrifying moments of their life. And in the midst of all of this fear and this frustration and this hurt and this heartache, all my parents could do was to think back to that prayer that my dad had prayed just those hours before. And it was, God let our boy live. So God's got this. And that's, man, that's the, way, that's the way they tried to raise me growing up because it's like, you know, I was, I was born in the 80s, so it's not like you can, you can go Google how to raise a baby without arms. You know, there's no, there, there's no YouTube how-to videos. Like, my parents were really, they didn't know what to do. And, and I mean, in all honesty, they, they only knew how to parent one way. And it's my, my, I have an older brother who's 13 years older than me. And, uh, and he is currently in the, the U.S. Special Forces, and he, uh, he, he disposes bombs, like, for, for a living, like, embedded in these uh, SEAL teams that, that fan out all across the world. And so he's six foot five, uh, 230 pounds. So I go, so wait, he got all the arms, all the height, all the muscles, all the cool factor. I got no hair, no arms, like... No height. What in the world? And, uh, and so my parents only knew how to parent in such a way that, that produces guys who go into the special forces and like to make things not blow up in his face. Like that's, that's how they parent. That's how they raise boys. And that's how they raise me. And, and I'm... I'm so incredibly thankful that it's like going in, they knew if we do everything for this boy, that's going to be his expectation. Like if he spends his whole life with us like cutting up his food and and helping him put on his clothes, then he's never going to learn himself. And so my parents developed, you know, I, I mean, think of growing up, you had a list of 
naughty words, you know, that, that if you said a, a certain word or phrase, oh boy, daddy's making that trip out to the tree and snapping off a switch and it's going to get real, you know, and, and so my, my list was a lot like everybody else's list, but my parents tacked on, I can't. If I said the phrase, mama, I can't, oh, you about to, you know, and, uh, and they would, they would set me right and then set me right back down and then encourage me to get back to learning how to put a crayon in between my toes or learning how to squeeze toothpaste on a toothbrush and, and brush my teeth with my feet. And so I have that sort of strong support system. But then the other really amazing thing is this is like, I mean, God in his grace, it's just as if he had crafted on my heart that, man, listen, I didn't give you hands. I gave you feet, so roll with it. And, and, and from, from the earliest of ages, you know, my, my parents would talk about if you would set me down on the floor and there were hot wheel cars and there was blocks, you better believe I'm going to stack those blocks up with my toes and then take that hot wheel car with my right foot and smash it into those blocks just like every other little three-year-old boy is going to do, you know? And so there would be things where, where it was just easy, all right, let's use my feet as my hands and, and let's make this work. But there are other times and there are other things that it's just, there's not a great substitute for, for having a thumb or a wrist or arms. You know, it's like I think of, um, I, I have, I've got my six-year-old little guy here with me this morning and um, we also have a three-year-old little girl. And my three-year-old girl, like she's a... She, she's a little fluffy, and, um, and so, you know, like, she, she, when she gets walking around, those, those legs get tired, and, and so there's, there's times when she comes over to daddy, and she just wants me to pick her up, and like any good kid does, there's so many times when our kids don't have to say a word. They come over, and they stick their hands up in the air, the international sign of, hey, dad, pick me up, and so nowadays, when, when my daughter needs me to pick her up, what I'm going to do is I just drop down the one knee, and she comes around behind me, and she hops up on my back, and she wraps her arms around my neck, and she wraps her legs around my side, and I carry her around like my little baby backpack. And so that's how, that's how I carry my little girl around. Now, when, when I was her age, and I would go over to my parents to have them pick me up, there was no hands to stick up in the air. So I'd go over to them, and I'd lay down on the ground right in front of them, and I'd stick my feet up in the air like roadkill, and they would go, oh, so cute. And then, you know, they would, they would scoop me up and carry me around. And so it wasn't quite the, the great substitute, but it, it got the job done. And I'm so thankful that either through just God's natural abilities that, that he gave me, or through just the, the constant challenging of trying to find a way, my physical body has never been a struggle in this life. Um, I, I, look, I look past the, the past 34 years of my life and I go, God, you know, I really haven't been left out. Because all of those things that I wasn't supposed to be able to do, God said, watch this. 
and I learned to eat with my feet. I learned to write with my feet. I went to normal everyday elementary school and I graduated high school with honors and got my driver's license just like everybody else my age got their driver's license. I went to college on a full ride and met the girl of my dreams and we got married and had two kids and now I've got the opportunity to, to travel the country and share the gospel of God's grace with anybody who's willing to listen. That's not too bad for a kid that was supposed to be left for dead. And I'm so thankful that God regularly takes the wisdom of the world and flips it on its head. Because there are so many of us that sit in this room and we think, God, I'm a dumpster fire. God, have you seen the choices in my life? God, have you seen the gifts and the talents and the abilities that I have? God, have you seen my insecurities? God, do you see who I am? And God says, just watch. Just wait. I've got you. And that, that right there was truly my struggle, was trusting that was trusting that fact that God had a plan and that God was gonna use me because what I started to do, and I think what a lot of us do in our lives is we start to look around and compare. We start to look at the people that are sitting beside us in these rows this morning. We start to look at the guys and girls that we work with. We start to look at the other people in this community and all that we see are the things that we don't have and the things that we're not. We see the reputation that we want. We see the zeros in the bank account that they have and that we don't. We feel less than because we're not like them. And that was me. Man, I I would sit in the lunchroom at school and realize that I was the only kid out of those 800 kids sitting in my middle school cafeteria that had to eat a piece of pizza with his toes. Or I was the only kid they would walk into Food Lion, and I was, as I would walk around with my mom, I was the only person that everybody would stare at because I was the only person with two empty sleeves. So what I started to feel like was that I'm not like everybody else, and that's a bad thing. That, that obviously nobody can love me for me. They can only love me because it's like, a, oh, poor guy. It's like a pity. I want, I want pity. I, I, want, I want relationship. I want love. And so what I started to do was I started to look at my whole life and I started to redefine God's terms and God's love for me. And in my frustration and my bitterness, I would say, God, if you loved me, you would have given me arms. God, if you loved me, I wouldn't have to go through this. God, if you loved me, I would just have some sort of birthmark on my neck and all I gotta do is wear a collared shirt and I can hide it. Or God, why, why can't I just stutter and all I have to do is keep my mouth closed and nobody will think I'm a freak? God, why is it that everywhere I walk, I have like two flags hanging with my sleeves that announce to the world that I'm damaged goods and I'm not like them? God, why? And there was so much frustration and so much hurt and so much brokenness for those first 15 years of my life. And then, man, came God in his grace. And some kid decided to invite me to, of of all things, a dodgeball lock-in. 
And, uh, and if you've never been around the youth group very long, like, all a dodgeball lock-in is is like a Red Bull-fueled, like, rage rave. Like, it is, it's, it's teenage boys with rubber playground balls way too hyped up on caffeine. And, uh, and I thought it was a good idea because I was like, hey, I get to get out of the house. I get to hang out with my buddies. And I didn't think about the fact that armless people are so great at dodgeball because we can catch and we can throw so well. And so I was everybody's pinata that night, man. Like, I have never seen so many red rubber balls bounce off a human's face as much as, as mine that night. And, and, and I think I, I always jokingly say that was God, God breaking my pride. Um, but then about halfway through that night, it was, it was probably one o'clock in the morning, the student pastor gets us all together. And he opens up scripture to John chapter 3. And I'm a church kid, you know, like my parents loved the Lord. My parents had always taken me to church. And in my eyes, Jesus was a great guy. Like Jesus was a great guy, great teacher, did some cool stuff. And I knew like in the back of my mind, yes, sure, Jesus loves me. But man, that night to see that God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him will not perish, but he'll have everlasting life for Christ did not come in the world to condemn it, but he came in the world to save it. And for this student pastor to sit there and talk about God's love for me in the fact that he gave me the greatest gift ever known, and it was in the perfect life and sacrifice and resurrection and victory of his son, that whoever believes in his son and in his sacrifice has a hope in this life and salvation and has eternal hope and bliss and glory to all who trust in that sacrifice and in that resurrection. And what I started to see was that God's love for me is laid out way better than me ever having to bulge in biceps. God gave me something better than arms. God gave me the gift of his son. And for, for me that night to trust in and rest in that sacrifice and to no longer be defined by the damaged goods I thought I was, but to be defined by the fact of what God said about me and in that moment it, that I was an adopted son, I was a co-heir, I was one who God was already working and moving and molding and shaping and bringing about fruit that no self-help program on the face of this earth can ever produce. Like that's the hope of the work of Christ in our life. And that is who I started to become and, and it was by the work of God. And that I was no longer defined by how this world saw me. But I was defined by Christ and Christ's life and Christ's power in me. And there's so many of us this morning that, that we're living lives defined by what we do, what job we have. We, we live lives defined by what mistakes we've made. We live lives defined by what we wear, what we drive, where we live. And all the while God's saying, I've given you something so much better. You don't have to live a life defined by the prison of just being who you are in the last moment or the last thing you've worn or the last decision that you've made. 
For us to trust in Christ is for us to have something so much better. And I want us to see that. If you have your Bibles this morning, John chapter 9. John chapter 9 is where we'll be. And, and this is just, man, this, this scripture right here, I think in, in the months after, after me trusting in Jesus as my Lord, this scripture was so influential in just me growing in Christ because what you see is this interaction between Jesus and a man who was born blind. But it's so important that, that as we step into this scripture this morning, like, I don't, I don't want you to check out and, and to think, all right, so, so the guy with no arms is talking to me about the guy, guy with no sight, and, and I'm not really connecting the dots right now, because like, there, there's some of you in here where it's like, okay, I can see, I can throw a curveball, like, I'm, I'm, I'm good, I, 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 don't, I don't really get where this is going this morning, but one of the things that we have to see, especially about the Gospel of John, is you see at the very end of the Gospel, in John 20, 31, John says this, that, that all of these words were written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ and that you may have life in his name. And so as we read this morning, this isn't just like how to, how to be a better disabled you. This is for us to see the true picture of who Jesus is. And for us to know that as we trust in and rest in him as our Lord and him as our hope, what starts to happen is we start to see the true life that he has come to give us. For us to look in John chapter 1, that in him all things are made. And in him is life, and he is light of the world. And we see even in the middle of the gospel, John 10, 10, that he has come to give life and life more abundant. But I think the second half of John 10, 10 is so incredibly important for us because we have to realize that the enemy comes to steal and to kill, to destroy and Jesus even, he, he deals with the enemy, like it, it, with your Bibles open, if you just look in the, in, in the chapter before John chapter 9, in John 8 verse 44, Jesus, he's dealing with the Pharisees very harshly. In John um, 8 44, he says this, you are of your father, the devil, and you want to carry out your father's desires. But here we see the picture of just who the devil really is in the second half of this verse. He says this, he was a murderer from the beginning and he does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. And when he tells a lie, he speaks from his own nature because he is a liar and the father of lies. Church, we see that play out very clearly. The very beginning of scripture, Genesis chapter three, Adam and Eve standing there in the garden and the first words out of the serpent's mouth, did God really say? Did God really say that you can't eat of this tree? And if there is one thing that the enemy wants you to do, it's to doubt the fact that God is glorious and that God is good. And if there's going to be two means that he's going to do to trip you up and get you frustrated and get you checked out on this whole gospel thing, it's for him to tell the two lies that God doesn't love you and God has no purpose for you. And he's going to use your circumstances, he's going to use the people around you, he's going to use your hurt, your affliction, your frustration to tell you, yeah, see, God really doesn't love you. When all the while, at times, even in our affliction, even in our hurt, not only is God present, but God is working 
for his purposes and for his good and for his glory. So what I want us to see here in John chapter 9 Starting in verse 1 is Jesus. Jesus has just finished dealing with, with these little disciples of the devil, with the Pharisees. And as Jesus stands up to him, they move to kill him. They move to stone him. And so Jesus slips out from among their midst and he escapes being stoned. And so you would think at this point, Jesus is probably trying to keep a low profile. You know, you don't want to stir the hornet's nest too much of guys that have already gotten to the point where they're ready to murder you. And so as Jesus is traveling from point A to point B, we get here in John chapter 9, verse 1, and it says, as Jesus was passing by, he saw a man blind from birth. And his disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? And in verse 3, Jesus says this, Neither this man nor his parents sinned. Jesus answered, This came about so that God's works might be displayed in him. We must do the works of him who sent me while it is day. Night is coming when no one can work. And as long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. And after he said these things, he spit on the ground. And he made mud from the saliva, and he spread the mud in the blind man's eyes. Go, Jesus told the blind man, wash in the pool of Siloam, which means sent. So the blind man left, and he washed, and he came back seeing. This, y'all, this chapter, this, this, these entire 50-something verses of John chapter 9, this is the most detailed interaction you ever see between Jesus and one individual in all the Gospels. It's a whole chapter devoted to this one blind man that we don't even know his name. But what you see is God takes a guy who was the least of these to shake an entire town to its core. Because one of the things that, that we have to know and understand is, and, and even for us to look back in verse 1, it says as Jesus is passing by, as Jesus is trying to keep this low profile, the disciples open their big fat mouths. Hey Jesus, who messed up? Hey Jesus, who sinned that he should be born this way? And y'all, th- this is something that I mean, we have to think that in, in my lifetime, the perception of people with disabilities in this country has vastly improved. I mean, goodness, like, I, I, can, I can clearly see the difference. Like, when, um, when the first uh, President Bush was in office, he signed into law this thing called the Amer- Americans with Disabilities Act, which just opened up more opportunity, more accessibility for people like me, people in wheelchairs, uh, to have adaptations, to have access to things that make life just easier for them. And I can see clearly, just in my lifetime, the before and the after in terms of how I've been treated, how access has been granted to me. And y'all, like, this is, this is 21st century America. And, and we've, we've only found a way in 34 years to finally maybe sort of kind of see people who are not like us as equals, as people who God has crafted and who God has formed. But what we see here 
in John chapter 9, we do see the greater picture of the overall world that when we see a person with disabilities, and especially in the third world today, and especially in Jewish culture then, anytime someone was born with disabilities, whether it was blindness, being born lame, any sort of issue whatsoever, it was almost always in their eyes the sign of demonic possession, the sign of sin. And oftentimes, even now, here in the third world, we, we see in Africa commonly when a baby is born with a disability, they're put in a clay pot and they're sat out in the wilderness for the animals to do whatever. And here, the Jewish custom typically was when a child was born blind like this man, he would, he would be weaned he would get to a place where at least maybe some way, somehow, he could fend for himself, and then he was cast out of the house. Because, you know, Israel wasn't like it is today. You know, it's, it's not like there's all kinds of guys that have their jobs at Wells Fargo where they can pull down, you know, six figures and, and have the boat and, and, and the really nice truck and the really nice house. Like in this day and in this age, you really had to work for what you ate, and that was it. And so if there wasn't a member of the household that could work for their food, they were a burden. And especially if they're unclean, especially if they're the picture of evil, why are you going to keep that under your roof? And so by a very early age, this man is cast out of his house. He's left alone. And as any good beggar would do, he's going to go to the places where the most people are. So maybe he's got the best shot at bread. He's got the best shot at a few coins being tossed his way. And as you see all through scripture, very typically, the beggars are always at the gates and they're always at the pools. You're going to go to the places where the people are. And so this blind man is sitting right here by the pool. And can you imagine just as he sits there and as he is, is truthfully laying himself out there for all the world to see the junk that he hears on a daily basis? I mean, think about your own life, whether you're too tall, too short, too fat, too skinny, your name rhymes with something funny, um, you know, think of, think of the poor choices that you've made in your life. There are plenty of things that people can lock in on and mock and throw under the bus and accuse just like this blind man had. And so for years, all this blind man does is sit there just trying to survive day after day after day. And like we see right here in verse one, he hears a whole lot of stuff like, who screwed up? Who sinned that this guy is this way. And I'm sure a lot of people are going to look at you and go, man, what a screw up. What a sinner. What an idiot. That they are the way they are right now. When very few people want to stop and sit back and even remotely think about why you are the way you are and how you've gotten to where you've gotten and I love this picture that we see right here because then Jesus stops. As they say, who messed up? Because in his eyes, flashback to John chapter 1, that all things are made through him. So for the disciples to say, hey, Jesus, who screwed up that he was made this way? He's going, bro, you're, you're calling me out. 
I, I made him. And so Jesus stops, and Jesus, Jesus knows what Jesus is about to do. The low, the low profile is not about to stay low anymore. Because Jesus goes over, and, and in my eyes, like in, in, later on in the text that we read, it says that Jesus spits in the mud. And so for him to do that, at some point or another, Jesus bends down. And in my eyes, I picture Jesus bending down before he spits because Jesus is bending down to tend to this man's internal wounds. And he goes, no one sinned that he was born this way. I made him this way so that the works of God can be displayed in his life. Then Jesus spits on the ground. And then Jesus makes mud and wipes it in that blind man's eyes. Jesus is tending to wounds before Jesus is tending to disabilities and frustrations and hurts and heartaches. And there's a lot of us in here that, yes, yeah, sure, you do not look like a blind man or you do not look like an armless man, but there are a whole lot of wounds going on inside of you right now that no one can see. And the thing that we have to look to is the simple fact that Jesus does care about what you are going through and what you have gone through. And there are plenty of times where in our lives we're going to sit here in the midst of darkness and hurt and frustration and brokenness and we are going to allow that to define God's love for us. That if God loved me, he would have given me arms. If God loved me, I wouldn't be having this marital situation right now. If God loved me, my finances would be better. If God loved me, then I wouldn't be having to deal with this depression and this hurt and this frustration. And we start to allow our circumstances to define the goodness and the love of God. And the picture that we see all through scripture is that church, he does not define his love in that way. That he shows his love for us, Romans chapter 5, in that while we hated him, Christ died. While we were weak and while we were helpless, Jesus was chasing after you. And that even in our hurt, in our affliction, that there is nothing that can separate us from the love of God. And that because of that love, we are more than conquerors for those of us that trust in Christ Jesus. That's the sort of love that we have to look to. And that's the sort of love that is hard to find sometimes when you're in affliction and when you're in tribulation and you feel like you sit there in, in the middle of the night just trying to fall asleep. There's nothing but fear and worry playing through your mind. You're trying to pray and it feels like your prayers at the ceiling. You come in here to worship and it just feels dry and sterile and you're just frustrated and you're going, obviously God doesn't love me. But that is, is exactly how the enemy wants to work and the lies that he wants to tell. It's just because life isn't going according to your plan, then God doesn't love you. But are we missing a greater and more glorious plan in what God is working in our lives, even in our darkness and even in our affliction? So don't look to what's going on around you and in your life for the proof that God loves you. Look to his promises. Like there's a reason why when people look at scripture, they call it God's love letter to us. It is the proof of his love and his pursuit and his redemption and his purpose in our life and in the whole of the gospel. 
And that is never affected or thrown off by any sort of trial or tribulation or plans of man because God's a whole lot bigger than whatever's going on in this world. And that's what God calls us to look to over and over and over is his promises and his proof of love that even when I can't feel it, God, I know it. Because you are not letting me go that your sovereign right hand is infinitely more powerful than any other ruler or authority or government on the face of this planet. And that even as this world tears apart at the seams and this world freaks out, God, I know that you have all things in control. I know that you are with me. I know that you have not forsaken me and I know that you love me. And we look to his promises and at times, church, we need to look to his providence for his proof of love. My wife and I often talk about, we, we talk about these little things called measures of grace because there really are times when it's just, it truly does feel like life is not going very well. And for us to look to the proof of God's grace in our life oftentimes starts with really small things like, you know what, I woke up this morning. You know what, I, I might have arms but I do have feet. That church, by God's grace, you got here this morning, either by a bus, somebody picked you up, or you drove your car, and that we sit in this place and we have freedom of worship without fear of persecution or being murdered. Much to pastor's point, I, 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 know, I know brothers in China right now who are pastors who are, when, I mean, gosh, earlier this year they were the underground church and currently they are deep underground because the government is cracking down deeply on believers in China and churches are being utterly detonated, pastors are being thrown in prison, people are being tortured for the gospel's sake. Praise God, we live in a country and we live in a place where we have no fear of that. And at times for us, often, often we need to look to things like that to remind us we truly do have so many evidences of grace in our life. And we have to preach that grace to ourselves, sometimes even on an hourly basis, to know that God continues to work and sustain and love. And even if we can't feel it, we know it. Because we do know that God in his purpose has a plan and a use for each and every one of us in this room. If God can take this blind man this man who really and truthfully has no family, no meaningful relationships, he has no education. Like Israel doesn't have a school for the blind 2,000 years ago. You know, he was truthfully raised by the streets, can't read, probably can very poorly communicate with others. And this is the man that Jesus bends down and says, I made him this way so that the works of God might be displayed in his life. God takes broken people with broken past and broken bodies and broken present times to use for his glory and for his good. And a lot of times we don't trust that because we compare. Because we look around and we go, I can't, I can't sing like that girl that got up here and sang. I mean, I sure enough can't sing like she can sing, man, girl. You 
you got it going on. Um, you know, like God, God, God didn't give me like any, any musical abilities. Like I can't, I can't dance on beat. I can't, I can't do anything. Like I have no musical abilities. And, and years ago, like I thought, God, I don't, I, I don't have any remote, like interpersonal abilities whatsoever. Cause when you think about how I grew up, and think about how everywhere I went, I was made fun of and mocked and stared at and looked at. I grew up hating people. I grew up resenting human beings. Because a new person for me to meet was just a new opportunity to be mocked and looked at and stared at and scorned. So when God saves me at 15 and then at 16, God calls me into ministry, I go, Lord, you got the wrong number. Because I am not, I am not your guy to call into gospel ministry. I, I hate human beings. Like, I don't, I, I don't want to tell the gospel to human beings because that means I actually have to be around them. And then much less, I, I truly do not have just a, a natural gift of communication and I just thought, God, you, you missed the boat. Like, I, I just don't know how this is gonna work. But little did I know that just by the means that God had made me was an opportunity for him to display his works in my broken body. Because of the work that he was already doing in a little 15 and 16 year old boy and he starts to bring about things like love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and gentleness and faithfulness and self-control. There is a joy and a love that by the world standard shouldn't be there. Like a guy who has to eat a McDonald's cheeseburger with his toes and gets stared at all the while, you know, somebody taking an taking a Instagram video. Like I know like I've popped up on people's Instagram stories on a weekly basis when they're like, check out this guy with his toes. You know, like people, people look at me as a very different person. But what I've started to realize is that is by God's design. Because by God's grace, I have an opportunity that very few have. And it's not getting up in a pulpit and preaching. I am thankful that I get to do things like this, but by God's grace, what truthfully starts to happen and where I have so many life-altering conversations with people, it is standing in line at the grocery store. It is, you know, when I, when I pull up to the gas station and, and get out of my car, that in and of itself gets everyone's attention because they're like, that armless man did not actually drive that car, did, did he? And so now that everybody's like trying to figure out what's going on, I'll get out and I'll get that little gas pump and I'll stick it in the side of my Honda Accord. And, uh, and now everybody's like, okay, this is what's up. Like, you, you got my attention. And so I'll... Like, I can't, I can't keep anything in my pockets because, you know, I don't have y'all's handy-dandy wrist. And so what I do is I keep my debit card in my shoe. So I'll pull my debit card out and I'll slide it in a little credit card reader and punch in my PIN number. And now, like, everybody's like, okay, let me get my popcorn because I'm, I'm here for the show, man. And so I'll get everything ready. But, like, the one thing I really struggle with is, you know, God gave me talented feet. He did not give me long toes. And so I can't, I can't stand on one foot and, like, depress that little handle and get that kickstand thing down so the, so the gas can get pumping. So what I have to do for, like, four seconds 
is I have to lay down on the ground and I stick both feet up in the air and I make like a, a gator mouth uh, with my two feet. And I, and I get that little handle down and get that kickstand, kickstand thing going. But what happens in those four seconds that I lay down is everybody that's sitting in the, that gas station, they think, oh, whatever animal just mauled him, like he has finally bled out in the middle of this gas station. And, and people will truthfully panic. And like over and over, people pop around like the side of my car, the gas pump. They'll be like, are you Okay. I'm like, man, it's great. Like, spring is finally here. <laughs> and people are like, huh? And, and so, like, you, you can see the wheels turning. And, and now that they know they're, like, stuck in a conversation, they're like, so what happened? And so in that moment, like, I'm not going to sit there and tell them about, like, how I eat with my feet and drive with my feet and, and cook with my feet. I'm going to take that opportunity to pause and to tell them about how God's gospel has given me hope in a life that should have none. And so so what I see in a moment like that is all of those years of asking God, why? God, why did you make me this way? Now makes so much sense. And there's going to be plenty of times in your life when you're going to sit there and you're going to ask God, why? God, why this tribulation? Why this darkness? Why this hurt? Why this toil? And oftentimes in the midst of the why, in the midst of the hurt, you're not going to know. But what you start to see is days and weeks and months down the road, you look back and you see evidences of God's grace and God's molding and God's purpose in your life. And even the fact, the Apostle Paul says in 2 Corinthians chapter 1 that God comforts us in our affliction so that we can grant that same comfort to others in their time of need. And so that one thing that you look at in your life and that you hate, that one mistake, that one scar, that one heartache, that one thing that you wish would go away is that one thing that God is allowing you uniquely to testify to his grace in your life. The one thing you hate about you is the one thing that God is going to use to bind wounds in others' lives. And you can't wish that away. There are plenty of times where, yeah, sure, God, I wish that, like, I wish I could go in the backyard and throw football with my little boy sometimes. Like, I wish that there would be times that, that, you know, here in the future, when my little girl gets married, there is nothing more that I would do than love to be able to hold her hand while I walk her down the aisle. That's, that's not my reality. And so there are going to be times when, when, when the hurt still hurts, when the darkness is still dark, but God's promised presence is still with us, and even in the presence of that, he's working and moving and molding and shaping for your good and for his glory. And that's the promise that we hold to and that's the call that we have to be faithful to walk in. As Jesus heals this man, as Jesus wipes the mud in his eyes, he says we must work while it is day and night is coming when none of us can work. 
And I find that charge so interesting that it doesn't say Jesus turned to the disciples and said that. He didn't turn to his all-star team. He turned to everyone, blind man included. That it is time now for us to testify of God's work in our lives. That's the charge to all who trust him. It's not an asterisk for those of us who maybe have tacked on a reverend in front of our name. It's not the charge to people who are small group leaders. It's not a charge to people who lead worship. It is a charge to all who trust in him, all who follow him. It is to make him known in all of the earth. And so you might sit here and think, God, I don't, I, don't ha- I don't have the gift of gab. God, I don't have influence. God, I don't have relationships. But God reminds us right here, well, you know what? The blind man didn't have any of that. And so while you sit here and might think that for some reason or another, whether it's your lack of talents and abilities, lack of influence, whether it's you feel like you are on the back nine of life and, and have little left to offer, God does not excuse any of us for making him known. Because I love the fact that so many of us in in our frustration and our toil, we are going to very quickly, we'll quote Philippians 4.13, church, I can do all things through Christ that gives me the strength. I've just got to run this last quarter mile on my run. I just got to crank out this last set in the gym, or I'm just trying to deal with that really annoying coworker I have. I can do all things through Christ. And then when your pastor comes to you and goes, brother, we're, we're doing this mission trip in South America. Can you come with us? Or we're starting a new community group. I need a new leader. A lot of times Philippians 4.13 doesn't trail off our voice anymore. We start to give the excuses. Well, I'm too busy. Well, I don't, I don't know how to share the gospel well, that means I gotta, I gotta open myself up. Church, either we believe he does all things or we don't. And it doesn't apply to the parts of our lives that make us truly uncomfortable because God knows who you are. God knows how he designed you. God knows what he rescued and redeemed you from. And so God knows where he's gonna call you. God doesn't make mistakes, and oftentimes for us, the thing that we have to do is to just simply be willing. And for us to simply realize, as Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15, it is by God's grace that I am who I am. And I worked harder than any of them, though it was not I, but it was God working in me. We go about doing the works of him who saved us and who has reconciled us because we know we have the only hope that this planet has. And that is why we take the light into darkness. That is why we make him known. And oftentimes, all we have to do is to be willing. You know, one of, one of the things I love uh, about my little boy is that he is, uh, he's never met a stranger. And so stranger danger's a little, little problem with you sometimes. Because <laughs> he, he wants to come up to people and he wants to be like, hey, I'm Teague. And I'm like, you don't know that person. Like, <laughs> What are you doing? But he's just... He, he wants to put himself out there over and over, and, and I'm so thankful that, man, just a matter of months ago, he gave his heart to Jesus, and so he's just, he's been walking through, <laughs> praise God, he's been walking through, man, just what it is to follow Christ, and, 
And so for, for me as a guy who teaches and preaches, I'm, I'm trying to be hands off and not very like pushy with him and shovey with him. But I love a couple of months ago, you know, he's a stereotypical first grader. They have the, the show and share, you know, bring your, bring your hamster, bring a picture of your dog, bring your favorite, you know, sp- sports team hat, talk about it. And so typically he'll do that. He'll bring like worms and toys and all, all kinds of fun, squishy stuff. But one day he came downstairs and he had a copy of my book. Um, I, I wrote a book just about my life and, and what God has taught me along the way. And he's like, hey, Dad, can I take this to show and share? And I'm like, yeah? What you thinking? Like, I was, I was real curious to hear what he had to say. And, and, and first thing he said, he was like, well, listen, like, nobody in my class knows that my dad doesn't have arms. So I figured I'd, I'd throw that out there. You know, it's... It's, uh, it's a little cool when you can tell your buddies that your dad, like, drives a car with his feet, eats with his feet. Like, that's, uh, that gives you first grade street cred. And, um, and so he, he wanted to do that. Um, but then I love the fact that he said, and I know that there's 23 kids in my class, and I don't know how many of them have heard about Jesus, but I want to use this book to tell them about Jesus. And I'm sitting there going... I'm not crying, you're crying, man. Like, <laughs> what in the world? Like, it's sometimes for us, it is just so simple. The call for us is to just trust. To trust Him with our hurt, to trust Him with our lives, to trust Him with the call that He set on our life. And for one reason or another, maybe we've become a little jaded. Maybe we've lacked trust because of past hurts or insecurities or doubts of ourselves or doubts of his goodness. But church, I want to tell you this morning that if God can comfort me and use me, if God can comfort this blind man and use this blind man, if God can rescue and redeem us both, God can do the same with you. You're not damaged goods this morning. You're not too far gone. God has a plan for you, and this morning it means going all in with him. And trusting him with every minute, every hour, every day, every part of your life. And sometimes that's a day-to-day, minute-to-minute struggle. But if there's anything in this life that is worth it, it is him. And if there's one thing that you hear me say this morning, I pray it is this, that even in the hurt, even after the 34 years of getting stared at and mocked and made fun of and having self-doubt and having self-hate, that it has been worth it because of him. And so whatever you have going on in your life this morning, I want you to hear that Jesus is better, Jesus is bigger, And Jesus will rescue and redeem whatever you have going on. And all you have to do is trust. And so some of you this morning, you might have some stuff you need to walk through and you need to pray out. And and if that's the case, hear it here in a second. Your pastor will be up here. I'm sure there will be some other men up here. If you just need someone to pray with, come grab their hand and talk and pray and lay your hurt before them. 
and lay your hurt before a holy God and watch how he will stitch you back together and how he will use you for his good and for his purposes. And I challenge you to trust him even when you don't know what's next because he is good. He will work. He will rescue and use you. With every head bow, every eye closed, God, I thank you so much for the men and women and children that you have brought into this room this morning. And God, I pray as we reflect on your word, as we look at our lives, that God, even if we don't feel it, we know that you are faithful and you are good and you are glorious. And God, I know that some of us in here, we don't trust that fact, God. There, there, there might be hurt, there might be a past, there might be shame, but God, whatever it is, I pray that men and women across this room would put that shame and that hurt to death this morning by your grace and by your work. Father, I pray that even as you are calling men and women unto yourselves, that God, for the first time this morning, that there would be so many who would trust you as Savior and Lord for the first time. And that they would get a taste of the grace that defines life and defines hope. God, may they know that you are good and that you are glorious. God, give people the boldness this morning to say, I'm done running, I'm done being a victim. God, I'm gonna trust. Even if it's just this minute, this hour, God, I'm gonna trust you. And then in the next minute, in the next hour, God, I'm gonna continue to take one step, one minute, one hour to trust and to know that you're good and glorious. Father, use us to display your glory. Use us to display how you take broken people and give them hope. God, may we be vessels of your glory and of your grace this morning. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. We've learned we're not going to leave here without praying a prayer that people come to Jesus because we found it happens. It happened with a man in Africa and he started a church. So if you're watching by web stream or you're in this room, you've never received Jesus. You're not sure, absolutely confident, without any shadow of a doubt that, that you're saved. We just want to lead you in a prayer that only the Holy Spirit can draw us. It's the conviction of the Holy Spirit. But when he draws, he draws us to himself. So we're just going to pray. Let's all pray. And, just an agreement and encouragement of those around us. But just say, dear God, I believe in you. And I believe in Jesus, that he is the son of God, that he lived and that he died and that he rose from the dead. And I confess that I'm a sinner. And I thank you for the shed blood of Jesus. And you said, whoever calls on your name shall be saved. And so by faith, I turn from my sin. I repent of my own ways. And this moment on, I choose to follow you. I believe that you are the Son of God. I confess it with my mouth. And I believe in my heart that God has raised Jesus from the dead. And I thank you, Lord. Fill me with the Holy Spirit. Fill me with the power of heaven. Fill me with fire to live for you. Thank you, God. And I believe it. 
those watching, let us know. You can email us at thegatheringchurchoffice at gmail.com. But we just bless you guys. Did any, anybody come because of those cards? I want to see if they work. Did anybody get a card and you came because you were invited? Oh, well, so much for that effort. You know what I mean? I've always wondered, does it do any good? I don't know. We're supposed to do it anyway. But the Lord's going to draw people in this hour. It's not going to be denied. So we bless you. Just bless you. Be encouraged. And uh, be strong in the Lord and in the power of His might, okay? Come back and visit from wherever you're from. Tennessee, you know, Canada. That you come back anytime. And uh, next week, man, just, just a, what, a, an hour? Yeah. <laughs> but God bless you. Remember, they're at the back uh, receiving an offering. It'll all go to Daniel. Amen.